If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, this is week two in our Parables sermon series. If you were with us last week, uh, we are going through eight, uh, or through eight weeks of what the parables are. And so I hope that you enjoyed last week. And so this week we're going to talk about the parable of the two builders. Uh, but before we get into this, uh, I want you to think with me um, because the kids are in here. So if kids, are you in here? Can you give a high five to the person next to you and go, I'm glad I'm in here with you? Good. Usually I do this opposite, uh, but we are glad that they're in here. Listen, here's the reason why our kids are in here. Uh, One of the things that takes place in a church and in a church culture is that when kids graduate from high school, they don't feel attached and a part of the church. And so this is our intentional effort to have them in here with us so that they could see you as parents worship and they could be a part of the church together with you. And so I'm glad that you guys are in here and uh, the parents are glad that you're in here with us. Can I get an amen, parents? And uh, so I'm excited this morning. So uh, let me ask you, how many kids uh, do you get read stories at night? How many of your families read stories at night? Okay. Uh, How many (laughs) parents, come on. Um, How many of you have ever been read a story at night? Okay, good. How many of you have uh, read the book Charlotte's Web? Uh, One of the things that I enjoyed about my kids growing up and reading stories at night was the cuddle factor and getting to read this story and getting to see their eyes light up as they learn something new. And so, listen, if you're a kid in here and you hate to read, listen, the reality is that we learn a ton of stuff through reading. And the comprehension of it affects how we grow and what we know. And so Jesus teaches in stories also. uh, But this is Charlotte's Web. Has anybody ever read this book? Uh, If you haven't read this book, I would challenge you, whether you are two years old or 34 years old and still live with your parents, uh, get this book and go to their bedroom tonight and lay in the bed with them and say, hey, we're going to read this together tonight. So uh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, One of the things that's interesting about this book, and I love this book, and I love this story, and I've walked through this with my kids and talked to them about this book, is that Charlotte's Web teaches a a number of lessons. And so let me share with you some of the lessons that are taught. Has everybody read Charlotte's Web? Amen. Yes. Good. If not, you're going to be missing out on this first part, and we'll get to you when Scripture comes in, okay? Uh, One of the first lessons that you learn is how to fight injustice. If you know Fern saves Wilbur, Fern is the farmer's daughter and Wilbur is on the chopping block. Wilbur is the run of the litter and the farmer or the dad was getting ready to take an ax to Wilbur and Fern steps in and saves Wilbur. Man, this is a great lesson, right? Fern fought for Wilbur's, Wilbur to live and won. That's the first lesson. The second is play to your strengths. One of my favorite characters in this story is Wilbur. But Wilbur looks at Charlotte and he wants to be a spider. So he begins to try to take string and begin to fold a web. Anybody with me? Anybody tracking with where this story is going? But Charlotte tells him, Wilbur, you don't have a spinneret. Somebody knew it. Spinnerets and lacks how to do this task. And so Wilbur learned the lesson that he's not a spider, that he doesn't need to mimic the gifts of somebody else, but that God has created him 
in, in, with his gifts and his abilities and not to copy others. So the third lesson is helping others makes us better. I love this understanding because Charlotte helps Wilbur without question, simply because she wants to. And throughout the book, Wilbur wonders why Charlotte would continue to help her. And so Charlotte's explanation is this. By helping you, perhaps I was trying to lift up my life a trifle. Heaven knows anyone's life can stand a little bit of that. And then the last lesson that Charlotte's Web teaches, there's actually like 27 lessons in there, but this is just an opener to the sermon, so I didn't go all out with this. Uh, But friendship is one of the most important parts of life. And so the friendship that Charlotte and Wilbur have is one of the most beautiful friendships in all literary history, even greater than Shakespeare. Amen? Amen. Okay. (laughs) Tough, tough crowd this morning. Uh, But they listen to each other, they defend each other, and Charlotte stays devoted to Wilbur all of her life. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story. We're going to look at uh, an understanding that Jesus lays out. But before we do that, can I ask, what defines your wardrobe? Now, a common question right? So uh, a couple years ago, uh, I was seeing all these ads about Stitch Fix. Uh, Have you seen this? Okay. Uh, I've seen the ads. And so I kind of got sucked in and I was like, okay, well, I want to know how much this is because I love to kind of look, you know, fresh on Sunday mornings and not like fresh in a cool way, but like new clothes. It's going poorly, okay? Uh, Stitch fix that goes with this. And so what's interesting is that they ask you a series of questions. And the questions go something like this. Now, they ask you the questions before they tell you the price, which is, I'm still not a Stitch Fix member, but they do know what I like to wear now. Uh, The questions are to build your style. What clothes do you like to wear? Man, if you had to define one shirt or one pair of pants in your closet, which one would it be? Jeans, <laughs> gotcha. Then the next question, what clothes make you feel good? No. For me, it's the ones that are not itchy, right? Like those are the ones that make me feel good. I'm a literalist when it comes to that. But then we begin to kind of build the profile on what you wear. And so I, I want to give you, this is one of my favorite outfits, okay? Um, my shirt has lemons on it, okay? I love colors. I love to be colorful. They've told me that to be on camera, I need to be in grays and blacks. And listen, it ain't me. I like blues. I like yellows. I like pinks. Can I get an amen from somebody in this crowd? So my shirt has lemons on it. And listen, I'm completely comfortable with it. My pants are blue and black seersucker pants. Everybody has blue and white seersucker pants. Not everybody has blue and black seersucker pants. But if you ask me what the anchor of my wardrobe is, Listen, I'm not afraid to show you that I have a pelican on my socks, and I am completely comfortable with it. Amen? So we think about what we build things on, and listen, I don't have to show anybody my socks as long as I see them, I'm okay, right? But what are you building things on? And so I ask you, what do you build your profile on? What are the things that people see you and defines you? 
And then this question carries over. What is your life built upon? What is the thing that is foundational to you? What is the thing that you hold on to more than anything else? Because that's what Jesus is beginning to teach in this parable of the two builders. We get to this place, and so you understand the whole context and the whole setting. Jesus had just preached in the previous chapters the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he redefined what Christianity would be. And so he took all of the tradition, all of the Jewish tradition, and he redefined it and he said, if you are going to follow me, if you are going to be a follower of Christ, this is how you should live. And so he laid out this framework, this foundation. And so all of these people were sitting under Jesus' teaching, learning from him for the very first time on how to live in a different way. And so I want you to understand, as he lays this setting, he's teaching him the same foundational principles that we live on today, a couple of thousand years later, that the same foundation of living for Christ still applies. The way that we live today matters just as much as those that were in that Sermon on the Mount and beginning to put it into action behind it. But from somebody that constructs sermons every week, from somebody that works hard to try to connect with his audience and end on something that will leave you kind of wanting more scripture and understanding more, I'm amazed that at the end of this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches this parable. This is Jesus' mic drop moment, if you will. He says, I want you to understand everything that I've taught you hinges upon you being one of these two builders. And so we go into this understanding that there are two different builders. There's two completely different profiles. So we pick this up in Matthew chapter 7 where the first builder is defined in verse 24. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, catch this. Everyone who listens, everyone who hears what Jesus is saying. Now, this is not a limited group of people. This is not just the, the people that, that, that are upper echelon. This is anybody that hears these words. So listen, all of us are included in this sermon. This is not something that is an exclusive club. He wants everyone to understand, if you have heard my words, this applies to you. But then he defines what comes next. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Catch that. Look, the reality of our world is that we listen to a lot of things but we're not very great at doing them. Man, I listen to podcasts and audible books and all of these different things because I love to, to study and to research and fill my brain with all kinds of useless, useless knowledge. But if I don't apply it, it's useless. So Jesus is saying out of Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, the principles that I've taught you to live by are useless unless you put them to action. And he, so he continues and he says that these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, I don't know why every time I say the word rock, it sounds like Sean Connery. 
Anybody with me? The Rock. If you're not that old, go watch an old movie this afternoon, okay? But it's, it's amazing to me because, sorry, I completely lost my train of thought there after I said that. So he tells them, be like a wise man who has built his house on the rock. Understand that he's saying, if you want a firm foundation, if you want to be built on strength, he says, because the storm is going to come. We have to understand kind of in history the importance of a house. The reality is, how many of you have lived in multiple different houses over your lifetime? How many of you have a house? How many of you have won a house? How many of you are still awake in the middle of the sermon? Good. So the, the understanding that goes with this is that in this time period, they built one house. And this was going to be passed down from generation to generation to generation. They didn't build the way that we did, that it would last kind of temporarily. They wanted to make sure that their kids, their grandkids, their great-grandkids, and everybody could attach onto this house. And so the foundation needed to be strong. So we have to understand that when he's building this house, he wants to make sure that this house will withstand anything. So the reality is that in both of these stories, a storm comes. The storm comes in such a way that it is a destructive storm. It is something that's going to tear the foundation, tear the roots of what this place is if it's not built well. So we pick that up in verse 25 and he says, And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Listen to what he says. It did not fall because it has been founded on the rock. Jesus is laying out to them an understanding that if their foundation is built upon Christ, it will withstand anything. He's laying out to them this charge that says, everything that I've taught you, if you just listen to it, you're not going to be strong. But if you'll actually do the things that are needed, it will be unbreakable. I think about how silly it would be if I went to school, went to college, and learned everything about building houses and then never built one. I think sometimes this defines the Christian faith, unfortunately, that we listen and we hear, but we don't actually put to action and do. Listen, the reality is that when we come to passages of Scripture that define our life and, need, and, and point out an area that needs to change in us, for some reason, our culture has looked at that and said, we'll just never look at that again. The reality is those Scriptures are left for us to change who we are, to change how we live. Can I ask you a question? How many of you as kids have chores? How many of you have responsibilities in the household? How many of you, those chores are taking out the trash? How many of you, those chores are cutting the grass? How many of you, those chores are folding the clothes, doing the dishes? I see a lot of adults raising hands. I'm talking to kids here, folks, okay? <laughs> My daughter told me uh, a couple weeks ago, she said, Dad, I think the only reason that you had kids was so that you wouldn't have to do the dishes. 
<laughs> to which I responded, you doing the dishes in no way supports anything that takes place in this household. <laughs> Do the dishes, keep your mouth closed, and I'll talk to you when I'm ready to talk, <laughs> right? So when it comes to this, it's tough for us. Hey, kids, how many of you, your parents, have to tell you to do your chores over and over and over and over and over and over and over? Man, look at these honest little kids in here. Dude, if anything else, you've got truth down, right? Listen, as Christians, the same thing happens to us. God lays out this framework and this foundation of how we are to live, how we are to build this rock-solid framework, this rock-solid foundation. And we've just become listeners only, not doers. So I love the fact that he gives the illustration that not only did he build his house upon the rock, he built it on this solid foundation. He went and found the thing that would withstand everything. He worked hard. He did not cut any corners. He made sure that it would stand up to any storm that would come their way. How many of you have built something with Lincoln Logs or Legos? Is it stronger than building something with sand? No. Have you ever built a sandcastle at the beach? Okay. Um, why is it that every time I see somebody that's built a sandcastle, I want to destroy it? Does anybody else? I mean, I don't know what it is inside of me. My youngest is the same way. My oldest doesn't think about destruction, but my youngest does. And I think about it sometimes, and I'm like, that's wrong. Why would you think about that? I could just roll over it at one time, see if it withstands, right? But the understanding is that building with Lincoln Logs, and Legos is way stronger than sand. So we come to this second understanding of what takes place with a second builder. In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 26 and 27, it says, and everyone who hears these words of mine catch this, the same people, the same people that are listening, it is inclusive of everybody that hears these words. This morning, you are a part of this exact same group because you are hearing the words that Jesus taught to the people that were listening to him for the very first time. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. Now understand, after Jesus teaches these principles, he teaches what it means to truly live for Christ, how to pray, all of these great principles. He said, you can live your life wise and build upon a great foundation Or you can be foolish and build it upon the sand. The reality of the difference between the two is that the one that built it upon the sand looked for the easiest, quickest possible solution. He grabbed the materials that he could easily put together and easily form and it would continue to just be quickly done. And I tell you, too many in the Christian faith are within this understanding. And the result was completely different. Verse 27, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. 
Listen, when it fell, it was a great, and it says, and great was the fall of it. And can you imagine in that moment that the storm completely destroyed his lifelong, his multi-generational, his house that he wanted to pass down from generation to generation to generation. See, it's hard for us to understand this concept because if something happens to our house, we just call the insurance man. They didn't have that. The reality is if a storm destroyed their house, they would have to start from scratch and rebuild completely with their own hands. I want you to understand this morning, what foundation are you placing your life on? It's going to be defined by the storms that come into your life. And listen, there's a lot of people in this world that have this shallow foundation, this shallow understanding, this built upon the sand faith, and it's continually failing. One of the greatest understandings for me, one of the greatest architectures that I can see, now one day I'd love to see this, is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. You see the picture of it as it stands behind us. It was constructed between 1173 and 1399. When you think about this time period and how it was built, it's this incredible structure, this incredible monument that was going to be built. But by the time the builders had finished the third of eight planned stories, about five years later, the tower's foundation had begun to settle unevenly on the ground beneath it. A dense mixture of clay, sand, and shells. As a result, the structure had begun to tilt visibly toward the south. If you look at this structure and you understand that plum is straight, it leans about 15 feet out of plum. The foundation is the problem. It was made of limestone and lime mortar. However, it was dug only three meters deep and built on dense clay, which was not a very stable place to build a 14,500-ton building. As I look at this structure, I look at Christianity in a whole I begin to see what the problem is that we've become seeker sensitive and so in, in tune with the grace and mercy of God, but we forget that the foundation is by learning and knowing who Christ is. We've raised a generation of Christians that are very good at listening, but not good at doing. We've changed the culture to say that Christianity and Jesus is all about you and the reality is it's all about living for him we come to too many places in scripture where we look and we say well i don't want to do that so we just begin to exclude it we shop a religion and shop a church that lines up and makes us comfortable can i be very just transparent with you that is a weak foundation If you are not built on the truth of Scripture, if you are not built on strength, on the rock of who Jesus Christ is, when the storm comes into your life, it's going to destroy you. 
Look, I see it over and over and over. So what are some of the lessons that we can learn from this parable? The first is that we should be building upon the rock. We should be putting in the work. We should be putting in the time, making sure that our foundation is strong. I love in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, the prophet reveals this. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the one who is laid as a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 through 6, the reiteration of this in the quote of Isaiah. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in a Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Listen, I challenge you as a pastor, I challenge you as somebody that genuinely loves you and cares about ministering to you for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Build your foundation on Christ. He is the most important thing that you could ever think of. Because the results of not doing this are what's on display in our culture right now. Results of not building upon Christ. Let me share uh, some statistics with you on what the decline in Christianity is. About 64% of Americans call themselves Christians today. When you think about that number, you think that, man, that's a, a great number. And that might sound like a lot, but 50 years ago, that number was 90%, according to Pew Research Center. Imagine that over 50 years in the decline of Christianity, so it begs us to ask, why is this happening? And I tell you, the reason why it's happening is because too many people are building their faith on sand and it's not withstanding the storms. So what do you do with this? You've all heard now. Now I challenge you to build. Everyone in this room has heard this message Everyone has heard the words that Jesus has laid out. But the action part of this has to come from you. It's interesting that Jesus gave two options, that not everybody went the right direction. The same is said of you and your Christian faith. Are you genuinely living for Christ? Is everything that you do founded on the word of God, founded on scripture, and are you leading your family in that way? There's a quote by John Scott, and then I'll close. John Stott. It says, in applying this teaching to ourselves, we need to consider that the Bible is a dangerous book to read and that the church is a dangerous society to join.
For in reading the Bible, we hear the words of Christ. And in joining the church, we say we believe in Christ. As a result, we belong to the company described by Jesus as both hearing his teaching and calling him our Lord. Our membership, therefore, lays upon us the serious responsibility of ensuing that what we know and what we say is translated into what... Are you building something that's going to last? Are you building things upon Christ in the way that he's called you to? Can I talk to my kids for just a second? In the next few years, you're going to be faced with all kinds of different things. Whatever classroom that you're in, whatever society that you're in. I beg you and plead with you, the next generation is at stake to found yourself in Christ. To make sure that the scriptural principles that are taught are the things that you live by. And listen, the world is going to try to consume you. The world is going to try to tell you not to. And I promise you, if you'll build your foundation on Christ, it will withstand your whole life. Somebody that's 45 years old and has built it on sand at times and built it on the rock at times. The sand quickly fades. But Jesus Christ has gotten me through everything that I have ever gone through. He's never failed. He's never wavered. He's given me wisdom and direction and discernment as I lead my family. And listen, I didn't put in for two girls. I had no idea what to do with those two. Still don't. But through God's grace and his mercy, he gives wisdom and direction. So build your house on the right foundation and it will not fail. If everybody would bow their heads and close their eyes just for a second. Our worship team is going to come forward and sing a beautiful hymn or a beautiful song that's picked out perfectly to go with this message. I want you to understand that everybody that's in this place not only has heard the message, but now you're called to act upon it. So I challenge you this morning. Are you going to be the one that just builds it upon the sand? Or are you going to be the one that builds it upon the rock? Listen, if for years you've built it on shifting sand, I would ask you to come to this altar and pray and just put it before the Lord that you're ready to build upon Him. Maybe you haven't started the foundation in your life. You could just say, God, I need to put my faith and trust in You. Begin to live according to your scripture, not just figure this out on my own. Whatever case that you're in this morning, the reason that God's brought you here in this place is to hear this message, but not just to hear it, but that you would actually put it to action. Father, we put all these things in, in your hands.
hands that we would live for you. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you. We're thankful this morning that for the few that have accepted Christ and are putting their faith in you and living it out through baptism, or that they said the first step of obedience is me going public with this. By me letting me, letting the congregation, letting the church know to hold me accountable and to teach me how to live for Christ. Lord, I love the picture that the old has passed away and that we are becoming new. Lord, may we live for you in everything that we do. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. If everybody would stand as we sing this last song, I pray that you would cry out these words and read the, listen to these words as they pour out what our life is built.